are live. It's recording. We're hot. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Welcome back to another installment of the Start Well Podcast. Once again, it is me, Kasim, in the studio here on King Street West in downtown Toronto. Uh, this time joined with a creator. That's the shittiest word. <laughs> We're going to delve into that a little bit. The YouTube culture, those kids. But basically, Ryan Bolton, a man of many cameras, is here to share knowledge uh, from his experience engaging in creative work, um, you know, as his profession. And we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. We'll see where the conversation goes. Uh, thank you for joining me in the studio today, Ryan. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy to be here. Right on. So let's get started by you introducing yourself to our audience. Um, in whichever way you would like to. Amazing. Um, so my name is Ryan Bolton. Uh, thank you for uh, getting that out there. And uh, I'm a photographer, and I like to photograph a little bit of everything, uh, which makes me a little different than your common everyday photographer. So I started with actually writing. I was a, a journalist, and I was paid to travel, and... Um, as soon as I started working, it was actually um, in Ghana. I was at a refugee camp, and I was with an organization called Journalists for Human Rights. Mm. And uh, I was working in this uh, Sierra Leonean and Liberian refugee camp, and I just started taking photos, portraits. This is ooh, 2007, 2008, in that ballpark. And um, there was an attachment that I immediately had with putting photos with the writing mm -hmm. and it just started to click and sorry pun intended yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh it was one of those things too that other people started talking about editors would then want me to take a photo to go along with that that piece that was written which i thought was weird and broke rules at first mm -hmm. but then i saw saw that it was about well i could tell a full story that went hand in hand and kind of get to a crux of something right and i fell in love and so I started shooting more. So I started going to music festivals. I eventually became like a photographer for like Way Home Festival and Boots and Hearts and Field Trip here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. That then led to travel uh, work. So I started working with organizations like Intrepid Travel, who I still work with, uh, which is like small group adventure travel. Oh, cool. And uh, it's like, like documenting groups' ex trips? Exactly. Advent That's awesome. Adventure stuff. Okay. So Mashu Pishu, climbing wow. Mashu Pishu with all my camera gear. Yeah, that was one thing. Uh, <laughs> Iceland, uh, Morocco, sleeping in caves in the Atlas Mountains. Wow. Uh, uh, Southeast Asia through uh, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, South Africa, uh, Egypt, um, uh, across the United States, um, you know, and really kind of exploring, um, you know, just that relationship with the camera um, and, and, and documenting what anybody would be like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, like just that, that opportunity. I knew it was an opportunity. I always knew it was an opportunity to be like, this is amazing. I'm guessing this is in your 20s. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, um, wedding photography became a big part of it that I just kind of naturally fell into with like anything like helping a friend out, right? helping another friend out, being like, okay, if you're a photographer and you're in a day surrounded by moments where everybody's looking their best, everybody's happy, that's a photographer's dream place. It really is. It really like if you if yeah. and if you have a creative mind and you want to create something, it's literally a blank canvas. Once everybody's ready, they trust you 
you you are directing how you want those shots to look. Isn't so, it amazing? Uh, like, it's worth taking pause to actually analyze this because there's a big stigma, of course, in uh, photography where traditionally it's considered that that's the starting place. You want to be a, a commercial photographer, you get your chops in weddings, you get enough bridezilla goo under your nails, and then you could dig your way through the commercial contracts that you'll get after that. But then you never talk about it again. And that's an interesting thing. A lot of photographers, exactly, will undermine it. And to be frank with you, I've shot a lot of product stuff where it's just you get your lighting done and you're just sitting there on a tripod snapping. Super easy. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. easy, to be honest. Yeah. However, a good photographer can work in every lighting scenario, people scenario, uh, environment scenario, right. where right. there's 15 people looking at you. You're in the middle of a street and go, what's next? Yeah. You have to direct it. You have to know where the light is. You don't have to get people in line. And you have to create something that nobody else is creating. You know what I mean? Like you have to, and then how are you going to do that's your own? How 100%. are you going to separate yourself? That is something that nobody talks about, but in a world I also love. So, and not to say I'm just a, a wedding photographer, but what I like is that I use different uh, creative tools that I've learned from other types of photography. I do a lot of like long exposure stuff here in the city and, and around the world as well. Yep which you know really teaches you the ins and outs of how aperture works, how shutter speed works, how ISO works, et cetera, et cetera. You take all of that and you put it together on something like a wedding or music or a product shoot, mm-hmm. it makes you stronger, yeah. it, 100%, because you're learning just different components of what makes something work. And even my favorite thing now is I'm lucky enough to have a few really, really top-end like video friends. I just love, and I, and I do a little video here and there, but I love just watching how they light something. How do, how do they work with motion? Well, let's talk about it because it's really interesting on the lighting thing. I, okay, personally, until Startwell Studios was founded, right, recently, um, I would always consider myself a hobbyist. I never really knew the difference between being a professional, you know, photographer and a hobbyist mm-hmm. uh, or even filmmaker outside of, in my brain, a professional filmmaker makes like linear narrative scripted you know, things that take oodles of time and, and effort to plan around. Right. But in terms of being in the moment to capture something on camera, uh, I hadn't specifically thought of the difference of lighting that flash photography for stills in studio, uh, how different that is from constant. Because mm-hmm. in my brain, mm-hmm. I see everything as constant light. So I've always been drawn to film, but take in stills. So I've never really played with flash photography, even if I was doing photography until very recently. Strobe lighting is another world. It's it is. the best. It's the <laughs> best. It is. It is because like there's, and I say that too. I have uh, like uh, just like Godox strobes, and they're they're good. They're like four hundreds. They're they're great. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have pow- three of those. The we love power those. of those things, like you're never at full power. You're never. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I have the two light system, and I use a third light here and there. But honestly, what you can do with that. And just go to one light, and how you can play with it, like that strobe. Yeah. Moving it around, playing with it, experimenting with that thing, you could create the most dramatic, beautiful, clean, uh, whatever kind of photo you want. Yeah. And uh, it's different from continuous because continuous, you're you're seeing what you're getting. You know what I mean? Like you, you know it. But there's something about tapping into something, getting all your um, exposure correct, and then you know just a perfect strobe. I don't know. It's just. It's the cleanest purity. Yeah. yeah, it's like especially yeah. I, I I have been playing a little bit. Not enough. I haven't had enough time. We have three of those Godox six hundred pros, and what I love about them again, this is a whole like professional versus prosumer question, right? Mm. Like all these 
I don't know. I don't want to throw sticks, but like you've got all these people with their like fifty thousand dollar pro photo riders for shoots, and and they sh- a lot of people like that. They come here and they rent from neighborhood studios or whoever, mm-hmm. and they don't own their own equipment and they rent it. And I find that interesting. But anyway, they come in with that the pro photo stuff, and you can't like some of the equipment you can't use with a battery. So they're they've got wires everywhere, or you've got this like pack a power pack that needs to be plugged into you know a nuclear reactor <laughs> to be powered yeah where's the godo stuff i could grab it i could put a battery in it it's gonna last like eight hours yeah. i could take shots that are like studio lighting in anywhere. the back of an alley anywhere you know yeah. yeah there's something to be said too with like walking in and having fifty thousand dollar equipment and i got it from when i was younger skateboarding and the idea that i wouldn't i had to learn a kickflip before i got another skateboard i had to learn a heel flip before I got the next skateboard. And then, you know what I mean? Like, I, it was about learning and then putting money into something. Right. And it taught me that skill, like, at a young age that it's not always the equipment that makes you great. Mm-hmm. You know, a photographer's worst nightmare is that's a great camera. It, it takes good photos. And my favorite thing to say is, what kind of basketball did Michael Jordan use? Yeah, exactly. Does it matter? Yeah, the tool doesn't matter. I think matter. it was a Spalding, but it doesn't matter. It's not exactly. It's a tool. It's what you do with it. Yeah. Um, you know, race car drivers, you know, like I'm really into like Formula One as everyone oh, is now. Yeah. And, you know, it's the Mercedes cars and Red Bull cars are just, they have better engines. They're better cars. Um, but it's the driver that really takes it to the next level. You right. know what I mean? It's what right. they do with it. It's the same with photography. Um, and it's something about like learning and as you go and then putting your money into mm-hmm. creating, you know, like, and that was something I did too, is like, you do this get you know do this big gig get yeah. a new lens yeah do this next gig get that camera body you always wanted get your lighting next get your tripod you know get your light room uh you know stuff like like yeah and, and i piecemeal. spent thousands on final cut pro at some point and it came in like 20 dvds in a box that was like the last version you could buy before they released final pro x and yeah. nothing was backwards compatible and then i you know kicked steve jobs in the face my mind (laughs) but like yeah no i know you invest in these tools because they allow you to challenge yourself and the suite is i mean there's okay there's something to be said also about like building your toolkit yeah uh and you want to kind of like have the tools set to be able to use well there's a natural growth that happens with that too as your skills get better your tools kind of can get better with it too you know and if like you have all the same all if you have all the best tools at once that might be just too overwhelming to even grow with it right but it's yeah. when you like kind of piecemeal and learn those things. It's about like learning. Like we use cameras now. We can't, we're not even using the full potential of how powerful these 100%. things really are. You know what I mean? Like even like a Canon, like T2i Rebel, like there's like, there's a lot of power in those cameras that aren't even utilized fully, to be honest. Of course, 100%. like the sensor and this and that, they're not as good as like the big full frames. But um, the, you know, with a full frame camera, there's so much potential that people aren't even fully getting to that, you know, we then move on to the next body because it's mirrorless and it's new and it's sales cycle. Sales yeah. cycle fucks everyone up. Right. And then of course, you know, I love Canon, so I'm not dissing Canon, but you know, there, there is a massive, massive marketing, um, you know, engine, uh, amongst all these consumer electronics companies globally to push product on particularly YouTubers for reviews. And so the free product comes in the door it is a new one and they got it for free and they have to reciprocate by kind of like making a video to tell everyone how awesome it is. Yeah. So it's very interesting. The hype machine is uh, is part of the industrial complex. Well, and that's been there for 
forever forever get stronger every year maybe but yeah yeah, it's i had i had someone in the studio uh last week we were talking about tools and we were talking about how this kind of um throwaway culture with consumer electronics can affect your uh sense of peace as a creator because you have to reinvent your tool set right Mm -hmm. redundant engineered redundancy can can affect the work that you use uh, or that you do on those tools i still somewhere in my house have a Dell laptop. I probably paid like $8,000 for this because I leased it at the end of university when I had no credit rating. And uh, it was like 58% interest or some crap, right? They Jeez. lock us in and it's some stupid thing. It took me years to pay off. and uh, But I still kept it for uh, the fact that I had SoundForge and Acid. So a waveform editor and a audio sequencer program. Um, back when this company that made that software was independent before it got bought by Sony because the Sony versions of that stuff were mm. trying to integrate it with their video editing suite in Vegas maybe at the time? I don't know. But it, it got really cumbersome and it didn't do the same thing so I couldn't make beats in the same way. And literally when I last made my last track that was released on DJ Spooky's album in 2004 or something, 2000, no, 2009... Uh, the track that I put out on that album was made on this crusty old laptop I dusted off. I put away my MacBook Pro and I brought out this thing and I sat with it and I was like, okay, how does Windows work? I gotta yeah, remind myself, yeah. what the hell is Windows? You'd find it was a different experience creating, going back to an old tool versus it, it something. It was. Yeah. It was awesome. It was because it was, it felt simpler in mm. the sense I didn't get, mm. like I feel free on, on my MacBook and I do audio and I do video and I do photo editing and everything but it felt like whipping out your keyboard you know whipping out a midi controller mm. and you only have 10 buttons to play with kind of thing um so it's it's interesting like there, there's something to say that even now with all this unlimited control that software hardware integrations allow for yeah. especially with gpus being so crazy powerful these days um there's something to say for even restricting your creativity in the production process mm-hmm. because then you can focus on your mm-hmm. media. You know? There's something about it, yeah, it, a clean route to creating. Like I was saying earlier, it's the, we put up so many roadblocks in creating. You know, we procrastinate, we say we don't have the right tool, we yeah. are waiting for an excuse, but when we have those clean systems to get in and create something, yeah, it, it's easier for the mind to do it too. Totally, you know what I mean? Totally. And like it's less, you know, resistance. Um, now and, that's not to say for anyone listening who's new to video editing, who uses solar flares as their fucking transition every single time on a video, that they should keep doing that. No. But, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to experiment, of course. Like, And that's, yeah. that's something, too, for anybody, yeah, young creators out there listening, too, is you have to experiment. Like, you, how do you know what you like in a style? How do you know what works for you in uh, even starting to create? How do you know what works for you in your, you know favorite music or whatever you're like putting together like you don't know yet and you have to experiment and you have to play and you have to get into the playground and um that's the best part you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna fuck up but like good Mm -hmm. good learn from it Mm -hmm. take it use it have some fun yeah yeah and and then you might but even in all those you know mistakes or whatever along the way you're gonna find the gems and you're gonna find your voice and you're gonna find your style that actually works for you and that's a win and that's what you should celebrate and i think that's a lot of creators journeys in that too like nobody's going you know just opening up their macbook and creating the next best song or you know video or photo it's like takes time 
and uh that's that's the best part about it on i think i think if you're not enjoying the journey then why are you on the ride you know like yeah well i also think that there's this kind of especially like we're in a time where the pat on the back comes from not peers but from consumers mm-hmm. um and commercialization of art is like we were just saying off mic was at an all-time high you were telling me about nfts NFTs I was reading are going to be the real currency of the future and and I think you know I'm I'm still hesitant on the NFT world because we just don't fully understand it but to get on a streetcar you need an NFT to you know buy a bag of milk it's going to be the same and that is going to be the normalized currency from creators commercialization so right like the biggest NFTs right now are all those like monkeys with the like all the art of it is shit in my yeah. opinion a lot oh, of it a lot of it is I just registered shit. so I registered uh, we had okay, so at some point we had a, a, a we had a I don't know how to describe this. It's a curious person, but we had let's say a Bitcoin billionaire from uh, the UAE uh, move back to Toronto and set up a temporary residence for his work at Startwell. And before I knew it, it was it was this chaos, a whirlwind of twenty, thirty, forty hangers on to this chap you know, coming in and starting new companies and no one was paying us a rent. And then they kept saying that we'll get a bag of cash. And I'm like, okay, but that's going on my accounts. And then the cash never came. But this guy was worth the billions and billions of dollars. And then supposedly phone calls for partnerships would be whipped up out of thin air. And then I was invited to dinners with these like crazy, seriously uh, connected and wealthy fellows that didn't make their money in crypto and, you know, got swept up into that whole crypto thing for all of one month or something last year. But um, in the process, I registered a domain name, Mr. Crypto with a Q. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make. And I made uh, animated GIF art on my phone using the Giphy app. Just crap, crap stuff. Crap stuff. And I was like, I'm going to list it. And you know what? I, I this, this is Only until this conversation do I remember yeah. since those couple Campari sodas in the backyard when I made those that I should post those and see. Just to see. Make Again, that's the experimentation yeah. and just trying it. And exactly. I think that's where a lot of NFTs even began and the art on them, right? Is that what will, what are we going to create? Like I saw that um, uh, Wikipedia, um, they just put up the first page of uh, like the as an NFT. NFT. the first page. It says like, hello world. Wow. It's not even like a typical Wikipedia page. It doesn't look like it any, anyway. Uh, and that's an NFT now. That's great because it's definitely on the Wayback Machine for anyone who can't afford the NFT. <laughs> like, you well, know? But it's interesting, like commercializing a piece of digital history. Right. And that's currency. The question I have about that whole space is the... I'm always one, you know, and I, I don't know if it's right, but I always question who the audience is. Mm. Not in the process of creating something, but as soon as that thing is done... Because I want to show it and I want to share it. Mm-hmm. And I always think, okay, well, who's going to enjoy this and how do I get it to them? And I'm finding that we're in a, a really fractured um, era for media distribution where we have so much yes. media available for people to consume. And the means of consumption are typically, uh, you know, ADD, uh, short time frame based mm-hmm. consumption patterns on, on social media apps, Instagram, and so on. And, and there's this kind of question of like, okay, well, how does my media have lasting, not even, it's not even like post-consumption lasting impression on people because their attention is on something else after they consume it. But even during consumption, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's always heartening. 
uh, props to, to all of you who fit in this category. Uh, when we get uh, a message from someone after enjoying one of our podcasts, because they're like, you know what? I saw that you posted something and I was like, I'm going to make time for it. And I sat down on Sunday and I watched the video and it was such a great conversation. <laughs> and I don't even, I don't hear conversations anymore. Well, I think you know. podcasts had their, have and continue to have their heyday in the pandemic. That's, I turned on a pandemic, like in the pandemic, I turned on so many different podcasts that oh, yeah? I love them, love them. Cause that's it. Especially with editing. I used to always edit to music and, um, you know, have something playing, but listening to people talk because I wasn't having those conversations in the way that oh, I wasn't before interesting. was even more relaxing when I was editing. So you're listening to conversations while you're yeah. cutting video or editing yeah. uh, stills. Yeah. All the time. That's um, great. And yeah, it, it, maybe it's a human nature thing. It's, it's about just hearing other voices, hearing conversation, hearing ideas, maybe it's just mixing it up from not hearing, you know, music. Um, but there's a, there's a lovely, um, point two of just like connecting one another through another means and exactly podcast is just part of another ecosystem of broadcasting information that is still relatively new mm -hmm. that I don't think has fully even hit its full, you know, running pace yet. I think it's right. still, it's still getting there and people are still finding it like even like smart list, right? Like that podcast. Oh, it's, so, I, don't, I don't really know. Oh, yeah. uh, What's going on outside of my own walls? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Jason Bateman and yeah. uh, um, uh, what is what's his name? Uh, Sean, uh, Sean Hayes and uh, um, Arnett. Uh, Will and, Arnett. Will Arnett. Yeah. And uh, they they literally just started in, in the middle of the pandemic. I think it was like mid twenty twenty, maybe spring twenty twenty. They bring on different guests every week. One person brings them on. The other two don't know who it is. Oh, I like that. And it's all stars, right? It's yeah. like they've literally had everybody. You know the biggest of the names out there, um, other just, than Ryan Bolton, Casting. Of course, Virtue. of course. Yeah, yeah, I think they've had you know Ryan Reynolds, uh, the other famous Ryan, but uh, not me. Um, anyway, uh, they uh, yeah, and they just and they just talk. And I and bet you talk. he brought a bottle of his goddamn gin. Avion gin. Yeah, yeah. He's well, that man's brilliant because he can do. He's done it all. Like he and he continues to do it all. Absolutely. Like, he just got the Governor General Award. I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? Like last week. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, we're proud of him. We're proud oh, of you. Very. Ryan. Very proud of you, he's, all of us. He had that thing where he's telling Americans, you know, stop threatening to come to Canada when something goes wrong in their country, which is ever continuing. Um, no, but the, the idea of podcast and, and just hearing people talk, I think, helped a lot of people last year. Yeah, and I it agree. will continue to help. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been tough for so many people being in isolation because they haven't had, you know, opportunity to engage themselves in conversation. And, you know, look, I'm a parent. You're a parent. Yep. My daughter's three and a half. And it's so funny because, you know, young toddlers, obviously, uh, they want to share. And, and what they share a lot of the time is just this short snippety, I'm doing this now, I'm doing that now, I'm doing this, and you know. But it's such a joy to hear that, even mm -hmm. if you tune it out once mm -hmm. in a while. Or, mm -hmm. you know, my uh, spouse or parents or whatever are talking to Ava, and I just like listening. And I think on the flip, you know, it's reminded me, being a parent, of what I experienced as a kid in a house where... You're hearing cooking happening. This is happening. Someone's upstairs. A conversation's in the other room. It does connect us to each other, even if it's a passive, you know, uh, means of consumption, right? I Just love to, that. Like listen to stuff. Well, it's even awesome. like yeah, like younger and around Christmas time, you know, exactly. Like you have your grandparents in, and yeah. you know, someone's making cookies, and there's the smells, and there's the chatter. Like 
there's a feeling that comes with that, you know, mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people were starved for and continue to be starved for. Right. Right. Um, yeah. One of the saddest things, the pandemic too, that continues to be, uh, you know, obviously the, you know, the real the death and the, and the, and the illnesses, yeah. but it's the lot, it's the lack of opportunity and loss of opportunity. You I know, was, like that's so yeah. sad and that's hard for creatives. That's truly hard for creatives, especially like, you know, extroverted creative, it was, you know, it was a crisis for extroverts as well, but extroverted creatives that's it's seriously tough because um you're always looking for your next opportunity and especially mm-hmm. freelance creators like that's kind of the bread and butter it's mm-hmm. you have you are a risk taker in the sense that you don't always know what your next two weeks are going to be your next month your next year yeah all the time sometimes yeah. you do not all the time no, but- and there's and there is a willingness to you know to put yourself out there on the line and then something like a global pandemic comes oh and you go. Oh my God, it crushes you. Crushes There's like you. no gigs and it's like, okay, well, is it because of me? Right. And that's is the exactly industry it. Dead? We, we always internalize yeah. that. We all, that's just natural, I think. Yeah. Like it's my fault. Uh, yeah. You know. We take too much uh, responsibility on our shoulders. Right. For sure. And the industry is, is also constructed that way, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the, one of the big failures of the, of the mega agency model. Totally is the slave driver, you know, kind of mentality of pumping as much out of creatives as possible. The burnout creative, you know, yeah. you just take them and you chuck them out when they're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Those and, ways are and gone. Keep them away from the client. That was always the thing. Always. Keep them away from Don't the client. Show them. Don't show them that. It's we like, can, we can do anything for the client yeah. that they want. Back in the basement. Get going. Yeah. And, uh, you're right. Those days are, are definitely yeah. rapidly, Going. rapidly rapidly like the big guys will still stay around a couple of them you know and they'll, they'll hold, but they're going to slim down well we've seen this inflection and i think it's a really exciting time because aside from the pandemic and i hope post pandemic we can um there'll be a larger dialogue about this era that we're in where um consumers become creators mm. and the media that they want to consume in relating to a brand would be something that's part of a larger dialogue you know, and I mean, obviously, the biggest examples, the most obvious ones are, um, you know, maker culture in general. You look at uh, indie media for food, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, there's this whole thing of like people want to see food being made, but they also want to make it and they want to share their thing. And there becomes this like feedback loop and the media facilitates dialogue. Um, and the smart brands are understanding this and saying, well, we need to engage and empower our consumers. Right to be part of our brand experience. And so that's happening on social media. And then, you know, consumer electronics are doing it, especially for capital C creators on YouTube, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You've got cooking things, even car people, um, automotive industry. So I I think that's working its way throughout the global economy, which is interesting. But but yeah, there's a a big revolution going on and cutting out the middleman and Mm -hmm. a lot of questions about, well, Mm What does that mean? Because for better or for worse, the middleman structure of things has been the status quo for so long that as the middleman gets cut out and agencies lose contracts to, you know, young kids with cameras, mm-hmm. um, their relationship may not be informed by experience through an agency of how to keep a client, how to build a relationship, how to offer new types of products that they might do without totally. a business Totally. Development mindset, totally. all that kind of stuff. Totally, yeah. and I say that I was saying that off off mic too earlier is that the only way I think I would be able to be a full time photographer now is that I did ten years in marketing agency world. To your point, because right. I learned, I learned that I learned 
how do you just sit down with a client for a meeting? What kind of questions are you asking? What's the etiquette? Um, how many edits should you even have on on a piece? What like how does that work? How would how do you price those things? Like mm-hmm. it takes time to learn that. And if exactly if you're thrown in cold, you know, there, and again, there, there's part of it you're just experimenting, you're learning as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a little bit of that guidance and a little, and just seeing how how it is done is paramount in helping you um, move forward. And I, and I honestly, I, I those ten years in marketing world, that's what helped me get to where I am today. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So let's go back to that career history story. Yeah, uh, I think we dropped off when you were. Um, where did we drop I think off? You're a journalist. You're taking photos. Yeah. Um, that led that led into traveling, weddings, uh, weddings, um, portraits, and now commercial stuff. So I've had the opportunity to work with brands from Gucci, uh, Red Bull, uh, Apple, um, you know, GM Canada, uh, Uber. Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that whole that whole world, that commercial world, yep. I'm loving just as much. And again, it's kind of it's it's just different tools in the tool belt that are helping create better like a bigger, better, you know, body of work. Sure. And I'm nowhere done. And I'm nowhere close to being satisfied. Um, but each one of them kind of plays into another. So and that's what I mean by just not being your typical you know, photographer. And I and, and I still do videos with that too. So like real stuff. So with Appleton uh, a couple months ago, we shot all their new reels, like all obviously all their this product is the stuff. Rum the rum brand, yeah, okay. Appleton Estates, sorry, and uh, yeah, so shooting all their like video reels of like you know, you know, making cocktails and how to do it and that kind of stuff, which I love as well, and just learning. Oh shit, you did some cocktail stuff with mixologists and everything. They brought in the full. Did I show you my cocktail stuff? No, never told you about that. No. Oh, that was a crazy trip, man. I love cocktails. We my met. A, there was a dude who worked for a company here, and. Um, Really nice guy, but uh, he was a mixologist and uh, was kind of at a crossroads in his career. So we cooked up this project to like just film some recipes, and I was like, "It'll it'll give me a chance to like take my you know four Black Magic cameras, yeah. feed them through uh, an ATEM switcher, and live edit something so fast paced as making a drink." I wanted to live yep. edit that stuff like boom 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 video That's game style. Yeah. yeah, not live, but yeah, and. And it, it turned out beautiful. And we did 30 recipes. We I killed the project because it didn't work out business-wise to like build a brand out of this stuff. Was this upstairs here in this the kitchen? This was actually in the kitchen at Starwell Studios. Mm. So it was oh, funny. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so the cabinetry is nice. And then I, I have that live edge table as the island that we were filming on top of. So I had a C-stand uh, for a top shot. Mm-hmm. And then I used uh, 10 to 18, like super wide uh, for a wide angle on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much like this setup. And then I had two cross angles from the sides uh, with a 50 mil to get that kind of like lots of blur. Bokeh. Yep. Bokeh. And then another one that was like medium wide. But the content looks amazing. And then that was a shoot that that whole series really kind of like pushed me to say, I'm going to use natural light, but I'm also going to like even out our studio lighting. So you got a sense of place mm-hmm. with these shots. You're mm-hmm. near a window. Mm-hmm. Um, but I needed to make sure that it didn't like when the sun shifted, the whole thing didn't get thrown off. That right. was the first time you'll I learn that. that. You'll yeah. learn that. Yeah. Uh, so you see, I'll send you the thing. You see from the beginning to the end, the quality changes um, immensely. Yeah. And we shot some of it at the bar here on yeah. King street as well. Yeah. That stuff had a more speakeasy vibe. So I didn't like it for this mm. topic matter. I wanted it to be more tropical and fun. Right. Um, but what a joy it was to shoot that content. I loved it. 
I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I and, miss doing that. Yeah. There's, it's actually a lot of fun. And there's even just creating like, you know, the, the, the small little, like that's where a lot of like video stuff is today with social, right? Is the quick, you know, you know, 30 second, two minute stuff. And to make, to make something so attention grabbing, um, enough for you to actually watch it. Like it takes that full team from like, and we had a really good art director on it and mm-hmm. she really kind of brought, her name is Christy and she's lovely, but she really brought out like a sense of, um, that like the brand too, like the Appleson estate brand, mm-hmm. like how it, you know, the, the elevated touches kind of thing. And just even like the font changes and like how like, the music flew, flew, like, I don't know when you, when you're creating something like that, you need a full team that like, even from our mixologist, his name was uh, Lion, he was just tremendous, but like everybody's got to be in the same flow. And I always yeah. say that. And like when I'm, when I'm creating and doing like a photo shoot, it's gotta be all hands on deck. It's it, it everybody's together and it's not one person. It's not a King on no. my photo shoots. Never. Yeah. Um, and I want that, you know, everybody's in it together. There's that equality because you need to create together. Right. And when, it, when, when it works, I call it being in the pocket. That's the best feeling in the world. It, oh, truly for, sure. for any creator. Like it's, when you're in the pocket, you're not even thinking about what you're doing. You just, you feel it and the team feels it and, and the output is there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like everybody's judging the output. You can see it live, but there's that magic that starts happening when all the, all the pieces are there together. And that, that feeling is intoxicating. So a couple episodes ago, I had, uh, Adam, uh, Veidna from, uh, Astrolab studios. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he's been a photographer, but he hasn't really kind of like jumped down the road of doing commercial photography until very recently, mm-hmm. even though he owns the studio and it's like stuff's happening every day there. I think he had been sitting on the sidelines for a number, not long, but a couple of years saying, wow, you know, this is so much fun and I'd like to do this stuff. And then he started doing it and he was like, oh my God. And he's really fulfilled by the work. Mm-hmm. So I had him buy, uh, even before this podcast, but we, I think earlier this summer, uh, I got some product from Nobis because mm-hmm. uh, they're our friends and they use our studio. So I was like, okay, give me some jackets, send me a couple of models. I just want to play for a day mm-hmm. and I'll invite Adam over. We've never shot together, mm-hmm. but we're going to just do a shoot and give me one concept. And they gave me the concept. The uh, The brand manager at, at Nobis was like, okay, I understand this is totally experimental. Um, try and give me nature, movement, and stasis in the same shot. And we're like, okay, we'll play with that. So we did projected visuals because it gave me a lot of control to like throw stuff up on the screen, mm-hmm. see how it felt with the with the different garments. Uh, and that was first time I'd done that really in this space was, you know, setting up the right angles with C-stands and everything so that it would, the arc of the projector would just like be perfect behind where the subject was standing in the foreground. How long did that take? Five minutes, ten minutes. Okay, okay. I'm pretty quick with this yeah. shit, man. Yeah. Well, some, sometimes it's hard with projectors because <laughs> yeah, you're exposing yeah. for that and then yeah, the the, the product. Right? Yeah. So no, no, no. It's very tough. It's very yeah. tough because also it, what we what we decided very early uh, setting it up was quick, but then deciding what aesthetic we wanted to replicate through the shoot right uh, took like yeah an hour and a half mm-hmm. before we were comfortable. Yep. And it was we had to make a decision that like the background is going to be blurry and we're going to celebrate that. So we're doing long exposure with a couple flashes um, to get that crisp product shot. Um, but we wanted the dark room with the bright background. Uh, and then we did a spot from above. So it's like subject was illuminated from above mm-hmm. and then a little bit of kind of uplighting from the ground. So we're really happy with what came out. They were very artistic shots, mm-hmm. not something that's... Typical product. Yeah, and definitely not like on brand. So 
at the end of it, you know, Sherrod, the brand manager, was like, these are amazing, but I can't use any of this. And I was like, that wasn't the point. This is for your inspiration. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, it's even like, I, I love looking at like a Vanity Fair and going through the first yeah. 50 pages of ads and I'll, I'll go, that's a good one or that's a bad one. And you, and you quickly start studying why. Right. Right. And right. and a lot of these shots are done outside, you know, like they're, sure, like your Chanel will be like, you know, on an Italian, like, you know, bridge looking at like a ravine, you know, but like, they are like a lot of them aren't even in studio, you know, no. which is so yeah. interesting because we always think it's always studio and sure a bunch are, but a lot of them are just kind of in the wild and a lot of them use harsh light, which is right. so interesting to look at too. Like some brands that like, you know, just middle of the day that are using some harsh shadows, like it's just interesting in that fashion world to like, they always look the same, you know, like, mm -hmm. you, you know, you know, a fashion ad every time you see it, but it's just interesting how they like, you know, try to continue to make it new. And I think that's now kind of getting them out of the studio more, which yeah. is, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because the formula, especially for like, I did a, I did a couple of weeks where I was playing just for my own testing, mm -hmm. but I was playing in studio with, um, fragrances mm. and it was a really interesting exercise because I was looking at really, when you're looking at fragrances, you're, you're really considering for me, two things. Uh, the mise-en-scene would, uh, for me, wanted to represent the uh, aesthetic that you can't obviously smell through an ad, a, a still ad. So the mise-en-scene was representing the smell. And the and lighting played also very much into that, uh, in the emotional response that smell elicits. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yet what I found was a limitation in the expression of that, uh, the product. Uh, packaging mm. and the packaging is two things uh, that were limiting me and I was playing with a uh, product from Balenciaga as well as from Tom Ford mm -hmm. and there were a couple of reasons why but the Balenciaga stuff super interesting fragrance um, it had a great theme when they launched it it was about a kind of uh, uh, hidden jungle where the most beautiful flowers were the ugliest and it was about kind of like inflecting the soft, you know, feminine touch with the really jagged edges. Of is the, that like their shoe? <laughs> their shoe with spikes on it? Uh, well, or that or those like giant oversized. Oh, the sneakers. Dad sneaker shoe thing. Yeah, yeah, that was supposedly, that was the sneaker that saved the brand, right? They were yeah. going bankrupt and then the young. The like, ugly flower apparently. Yeah, it's terrible. I, I Not not for me, but it yeah. worked. <laughs> it no, definitely no, I, worked. I forgot. I saw an interview with him, the brand manager or design uh, whatever you sure. call them in the fashion world uh and my friend imran uh, ahmed from business of fashion who started a new show uh video show where he he travels and he's trying to unveil through the show the current state of the industry and what fashion kind of in 2022 will look like interesting but anyway so yeah i played with this and and i was like okay so plastic wrap was stupid in terms of a brand expression it it, it takes away mm -hmm. you know from the aesthetics mm -hmm. Uh, and then the box, everything's about the box. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the scent, you're going to go into a perfumery, you're going to ask for that box. If, you, if you're not a Chanel lady mm -hmm. and you're looking for a new number or your old number, you're going to look at what is that? Is that cool? And how does that, uh, uh, you know, uh, relate to me? So it's a classic branding thing, but mm -hmm. it's at odds with mm -hmm. uh, the bottle I found. And then, you know, there's all this, it's not like an Apple product. You open it up and there's tons of garbage in the box and packaging that makes the experience of looking at the bottle cumbersome. Mm. So it's not like suddenly there's this beautiful bottle. Really all the packaging I think should you should start be... doing unboxing videos. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and just comment on all this shit. Is that what unboxing yeah, baby, videos baby. are? Oh, absolutely. I don't watch any absolutely of them. I should do this. But I, th- I think to your point though, like you actually, uh, for any again young creators out there that are looking for something to do in their house that you don't need a big studio for, right? Yeah. Is watches and fragrances. Oh yeah, and there are so many cool. They're very challenging. Yeah. There's so many cool videos out there, like in and you know Instagram Reels and that kind of stuff that show you behind the scenes of how people do it in their own home. And it's amazing the creativity that comes out of there, mm-hmm. um, you know, using like water and they put like dyes in the water and the products in there. But I've even seen them use like, you know, an IMAX screen to put the product in yeah, front, light it, and then use right? the background. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, that's brilliant. Like and then you could do it anywhere. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. again, coming back to like, you know, the democracy of creating a little bit, like kind of the same thing that, you know, someone can make beats anywhere these days. And, you know, yeah. as long as you have like a MacBook. But the idea that, you know, a lot of people that are like, how do I work on, creating that body of work that if I want to go into commercial yes. or whatever, just yeah. do it Do it at home. Um, you, use natural light maybe to start. If that, you don't even have proper lighting, you go by a window, um, set up a little like studio spot and, and start experimenting. Because you'll, cause that, to your point, like it's hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard. Because how do you, how do you match the, the, the elevated elegance of a beautiful bottle? You know? And I think this is the other thing is like, um, I don't know. I'm not up to scratch with how schools are teaching creative pursuits these days. Um, but definitely in the old world, even in fine arts schools, you know, I know some people I went through some really good schools. Mm-hmm. One of my clients back in the day was actually um, CalArts, the California Institute of the Arts, mm-hmm. which was founded by Walt Disney. And at all these art schools, which you find, and of course, OCAD, I've worked with OCAD as well here in, in, uh, in Ontario and Toronto. Um, there was historically this very formulaic method and you're kind of like teaching by example and the you replicate replicate until yep. you can speak in the medium and then you can you know be free mm-hmm. and then you can be an artist and no great artist went to school but anyway that's a whole nother <laughs> thing but the thing is um yeah you're right you're right i think it's about deconstructionism if anything is totally. what i would kind of recommend to people is to say take some shit like you're saying the ads in a magazine tear it apart mentally mm-hmm. tell yourself why it's not good mm-hmm. and rebuild it mm-hmm. in your own language mm-hmm. um and absolutely. do that and do that and do that until you feel free doing that absolutely and when and a little trick on that too as a you know to do it as a tool is uh look at how they light it you know lighting is so important in everything right even like right here right now it's got perfect lighting but um look at the catch light in someone's eye mm that'll tell you right and so the catch light what that means is like you know on a cartoon you see that big bulb you know like you can see it right the mm-hmm. the, the light um and you can see it in really good photographs too so that'll tell you how they lit it um and, and looking at that like why how did they light it why did they light it that way what is that doing like was that a mistake was that a on purpose mm-hmm. and and start just doing you know looking at all of them as you go and you'll find yourself doing it in movies and mm-hmm. tv shows and everything and 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 it's is it the kind of thing I can't turn off now where it's, yeah. I'm always just seeing it, right? It's like, how did they do it? You, you know, how do they light it? And even my friends too will, if uh, he's on set, he'll send me uh, a still of a video they're shooting and they go, how did I light this? And I love it. <laughs> I love, I love it. Challenge. I great. love it. And uh, usually I'm wrong because <laughs> it's funny because like a lot of it's just tricking, right? Or a lot of it for video, it's like bouncing light, right? Oh my I love God. to bounce light. Biggest thing yeah. ever. Um, but I love that and that'll teach you. 
and it'll teach you how to make yourself better and your own work better. Mm -hmm. And it'll teach you how to see light. And that's one of the biggest things photographers always say. There's, I never understood at first. Like, you'll, how do you see light? What are you talking about? Right. Like, and, you know, you'll start playing with it in your hand. You know, it's like, how does light hit your hand? And even if you're out in the wild, do that. If you're like, you know, looking for a good place to shoot, obviously find shade first, but then put your hand up to the sun and see how where it's reflecting. It'll, mm -hmm. it'll show you. Um, but doing that, like doing that continuously, continuously will make you just better way better at what you're doing on all the time and then like i was saying like for me anyway it'll help you in different forms of photography and different forms of video because you're you're really learning what is making that shot good or not good you know and then you'll finding it your own styles because of that too because you're critiquing what you're seeing mm -hmm. and again off mic like you and i were saying and you and i are from the same cloth in this is that we overanalyze our own work all the time oh yeah all the time continuously and awesome or shit that's those are my two i'm a little scared what will happen if i don't care anymore honestly i am like i'm like what like what, what if it's an apathy about an old shot i think yeah. that then my work's dead you know like because yeah. you you always have to say like this worker that didn't work that was underlit that was overlit that's oversaturated that's under like whatever it may be mm -hmm. and that's the best part to finding your own work and your own body of work is is yeah. is self criticizing and and being critical. I have one of these things, and I think it's a it's a it's a meditation in practice that I would recommend to all creators if they have such a project they can keep coming back to. Is like cook up a project that you can keep coming back to your mm -hmm. whole life. Mm -hmm. For me, for the last four years, one of these meditations has been um, real estate photography, and it has been specifically this campus because mm -hmm. I have not had a team to cool. prep my marketing material. So I'm like, okay, I need to get better and better and better and better and better and better at expressing what this place is through photography on our website and also for sets that we send out to people mm -hmm. uh, for various purposes for marketing. Uh, I wanted the place to be shone in the best light, and that was on me. Mm -hmm. And what I'm finding constantly, and it's actually really exciting, is that uh, I'll look back on old photos. Some of them I can still use because the furniture's in the same place and all, but I'll be like, no, I'm going to reshoot this. Because uh, it was it was good for the moment, and that's another thing. I can look back and I'll say, "This is not a piece of shit. This is actually an awesome photograph, but it doesn't have the vibe mm. of right now." Mm. You know, and you can tell that. And again, right. it's the, you could break it down technically into like lighting or something. How many times have you shot the space? Oh, it must be. If I, I mean, it's it's because I'm shooting parts of the space all the time too. So I would say if, if there were like if there were actual shoots or a day where I ran through the whole campus with twenty thousand square feet and I shot it, uh, in four years it would be like uh, thirty times. Nice, yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, like that's thirty good. times, something like that. And now I've gotten to the point where I I'm not thinking of how I'm doing it, but I know that like. Let's say an office turns over and I want to have, once we repaint it, we change the furniture, I need to do a new shot for the mm -hmm. website. Mm -hmm. It's just like literally I hop in, tripod, I'm uh, exposure settings, I'm not even thinking about boom, 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 take it, happy. And are you excited about it? Are you excited when there's a new opportunity every time to work on that project? You know or what I'm excited it... by? I'm, 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 I'm excited. I'm. It's funny because my focus in the production process used to be the being in the production. And the trickery mm -hmm. and figuring things out. Yeah. But now it's like, I'm excited when I see that thing is the finished result. The process, I'm like, I'm down with. I'm mm -hmm. not worried about mm -hmm. anything. I'm mm -hmm. not thinking about it. Uh, I'm excited when I see it in place. 
I see the media in place. Kind of like the photograph photo in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's like the photos on the website, and and I'm down with that. Yeah, it tells the story that you wanted. Yeah. to tell exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's I like that tip, like having a project you're continuously working on. But and, and that's why I asked like how many times you've done it because you you need to be in that mindset that you can't. There's no hangups. You know, like that's such an important thing in creativity. Oh, Again, yeah. and just even like the social. I call it our Google adult adult mind you know we're, we're constantly thinking in 10 different things at once and our attention spans are becoming so limited but it's like one of those projects that you like you can all that stuff it's there but you blank it out because you focused on doing that one project or whatever it is like you need to want to do it you know that, there's no other way of saying it like people talk about passion and all that stuff like you know it's of course it's important it'll happen naturally as you like it but you need that one thing to get you to be passionate you know or that oh, yeah. project and then you kind of build from there as you as you go along and making it better always yeah like again and a good photo is never done like we were saying right. earlier too right. like a good article is never finished writing because you can always edit you can always make it better you can always like fine-tune it and something like going back like you know even when you're writing like an essay in school you know maybe I would always write something last minute, of course, mm-hmm. but I would give it a day, <laughs> give it a day to breathe and then go back and edit it. And that was always yeah. so much better. And I found that everything kind of came a little more naturally because you gave it that time to breathe, but you also came with a new perspective or had an idea or, you know, you were in the shower and that like, that's how I'm going to close the essay or that's how mm-hmm. I'm going to finish that project. You know, like that, like you need, you need those time to breathe and you need projects to be able to breathe. In totally. order to finish, not not again, and, and is well, anything finalized? I guess I think a lot of people forget, especially in commercial work, that like creativity is not just frontal lobe work. Like mm-hmm. you need, it's part of the process to allow your subconscious input. Absolutely, and and absolutely, and, and that time kind of relaxes the front of your brain, you know, to allow yeah uh, the rest of your 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 creativity to uh, to align catch so up for sure. yeah catch up <laughs> yeah. exactly you know or like sleeping on things is, is oh. so good i mean i remember back when i used to do a lot of like like coding exercises uh for well not, i call them exercises they're actually like commercialized projects for clients yes they were all exercises for my intelligence i <laughs> my 20s was that eh i would get a client a really good client it could be like kia launching a new car in north america it could be coca-cola trying to bring university students together around the Nestle brand in a challenge that's experiential marketing. Whatever project it was that my studio worked on, um, literally, I always saw it as, like, there was no failure you know, mm. opportunity. Uh, anything I did, I knew I was going to be confident in and uh, they would be happy with as clients. So I just always used to treat every project as a challenge to myself to think through it in a new way. Totally. And, uh, totally. You know, and, and, and that's the best thing, where you don't know yeah. what the specific learning is, yep. but you know you've learned a bunch of stuff. And that's even coming back to, let's say, wedding photography is more than any other type of photography that I do. It's I see it as a puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, every exposure is a puzzle, right, to properly get it. And for anyone that's not, uh, like, really big into, like, you know, video or audio world, but... You know, your ISO, your aperture, and your shutter speed and getting them kind of all in the angle to get the proper shot and the proper light, right. the proper time of day, um, takes time. Mm-hmm. And it takes learning to get to that point so they'd be able to do it. We're shooting on manual all the time. 
but I see that as a puzzle that you're kind of putting it together and creating it. And that's one thing with a wedding throughout the whole day, I'm trying to tell a story, right? right, right. And I'm always, when I'm photographing, I'm trying to see how that storyline is going to kind of go. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how it's going to go, but you're kind of like, you're, you're putting the pieces together and formulating that, you know, that story or that's that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the best part is that, you know, it's that, that, that puzzle piece. And the, sometimes the puzzle isn't complete, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that happens, that definitely happens. And you're, you know, you're left, being like shit like yeah. how do i fix this or where, where do i go from here because yeah it could be pouring rain or you know people are late or whatever it may be but i think that's a good way of kind of going about creating too is knowing that you don't always have all the answers but you know what you need to get to a to a certain point but you got to let it happen and you got to you know play with the toolbox oh for sure and to i think to be successfully engaged in a career in creativity uh it sounds shitty but you can't be a perfectionist. No, you can't. You, you got try, you, you but go, you're not. You, you like good enough is everything. Yeah, you it. You have to go with your intuition so much of the time. You're right. You're right. Like, you know, per, for perfectionists will become paralyzed. Analysis paralysis. That kind of world. That'll happen and does happen. Um, I've seen it. Um, but like, yeah. You, you what? Here's the thing. Is like when, actually, a, a, a lesson I learned young when I was shooting festivals. Um, you have three songs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or shooting any band, let's say you're at like sure. a concert, or whatever. you get three songs. You're at the front of the, you're in the, you're in the pit, and you're shooting. Um, as soon as you get that one shot of maybe it's the lead singer, they're kind of coming out. You got the timing right, the la- the lights right on them at the perfect time. As soon as you get that shot, get the next shot. Mm-hmm. I see so many times people staying on that one shot, trying to get it. Three songs are up, and they got half of a shot they wanted you know mm. but if they would have moved they might have seen something a little different you oh, know what yeah. i mean yeah. but they got hung up on getting that one perfect shot sometimes it's worth it i'm not saying that's always the case but moving around seeing how something else like that was a really good lesson to learn because if you're going to come back you know and you you have to show client you go look i have a uh, hundred photos and they're like that's the same photo like over and over again what are you talking about they're like the light's right on this one goes Great. What about yeah. the rest They're of the like, band? I or, don't care. And you're like, the crowd I spent experience? so much effort. You know, and it's like that's that's you know a good I lesson. I my pants waiting for this <laughs> shot. Sometimes it's worth it. Honestly, sometimes it is worth it. But um, you gotta, yeah, you gotta know when you have something and then move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And you know what? I think this is also um, even for still photographers not interested in motion, embracing motions is kind of is. Not not mm-hmm. their motions. I said that wrong. I pluralized it. Embrace your motions. <laughs> Embracing motion, yeah. Because if you if you mess with motion, it kind of affords you a different uh, perspective. I think you can you can manipulate a moving image uh, mm-hmm. in a way while you're capturing it more than you can with a still. Um, I feel like so like even like back like I'm talking ten, twelve, fifteen years when I shot, I did a little. Uh, I was when I had my record label, mm-hmm. Indian Electronica Records. There were bands that I would shoot um, when I put them on stage, and it was just because I was fucking around having fun. But like, I would go up on stage with a handy cam and film the sh- the like at least one song, and it was kind of cool. It's kind of like being a wedding photographer. The band has to feel comfortable not mm-hmm. caring that you're on stage, mm-hmm. and the audience also mm-hmm. can't let you steal the show. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why Handycam I always found really cool because I had crazy zoom on it mm-hmm. uh, for video, and then I could like play with it in different angles. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a long time ago, so devices have changed since then. Yeah. Um, but some of the best stuff that I've ever filmed was that footage, and I only filmed that footage to give me a more innate 
uh, feeling of what it's like on stage so that when I'm back down looking up at the stage or from the side wings, I could capture those moments where it's like, it's not about what the audience sees. It's about what they feel on the, mm-hmm. on the stage. You Absolutely. Do you sell that footage? Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, the essence of uh, a good photo can always be seen in the expression of a model. Um, what I mean by that is you can see anxiety. You can see um, distraction. You can see th- that person not being present. Yeah. And a biggest trick is how you build that rapport with somebody, how you get somebody to feel relaxed how you get that the real emotion and i always say it's like when the the model or the subject forgets there's a camera there mm. that's when the magic happens and mm-hmm. it's so true to getting those like you know those photos that you can't really explain you know a de- you know a decisive moment is a good photo right like that's that's kind of the, that's what it is right or you just feed them some beans you let them fart and it, then you're in the golden zone then you're zone. good then they're comfortable. Everybody they well, farted in front of you, and it's all good. <laughs> um, but there's there is an art to that, and uh, I find that every time you know you you really get somebody to relax, and uh, that there's a skill in that. There's there definitely is. a skill in that. Hundred um, percent. That the best work comes forward. Um, so yeah, there's uh, you know, there's, and that's one of the best things I always love to hear after a photo shoot is I that was fun. You know, mm-hmm. that was fun. You made me feel great. You know. Um, I didn't think it would be that easy. Um, I was stressing with this for weeks, but it was super like enjoyable. That's the best compliment because it's not a trick or anything, but y- you're there to do a job. You're there to get something. You- you're there to, you know, you have a focus. Um, and the best way to do that in, in getting them there um, is to make them feel comfortable and, and-, and feel- make them feel good. And that's one thing too when I'm, when I'm shooting, I even forget about it. I'm like, beautiful, yeah. great. I-, I talk through everything, right? I'm like, that's it, move. Okay, like, great, like this, like that. Okay, that's wonderful. Like you're perfect, stunning. I'll even say like just just shine for me right now. Like yeah, that communication it, is really it, important. It helps. Yeah, it helps. And 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 here's the other thing too is like people like direction. They do. They um, need it. They need it. And yeah, you know the, the worst the, are models. Like professional models are not what people think. Yeah, they some, don't know how to hold themselves. Yeah, uh, some do, some don't. Like I've yeah. had experiences where like some like you know they they have like twenty looks. Like I call, they call it looks, right? Like the, how they look into the camera, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um. Some of them just like nail it. You know, like they know exactly what they're doing. Like they have it. Yeah. And yeah. Sometimes it's like, you know, what are we doing here? Kind of like yeah, you get yeah. tired over directing. Sometimes you do, you do, yeah. And then that takes you out of the pocket. But once you get them like nice and comfortable, and again, like let's say like non-model, like just like doing portraits or wedding or whatever it may be, um, it's that yeah, getting them calm, getting them in the pocket, get them forget about it, and then the best stuff comes from there. Oh yeah, the best stuff, and that's when you get more creative too. That's when you're trying different angles, you're doing maybe profile view, like whatever it may be. Um, but it, it it's it's giving them that direction, make them feel comfortable, make them feel good. And then you're you're flowing, you're moving. Um, I want to wrap it back to that early kind of career experience of being a journalist. Mm. Uh, and you know, you drop the words from the media and focus on just the media. Tell me a little bit about the the work that you do and uh, the larger narrative mm. that you think you're. Great kind question. Of... Great question. Well, I'm not done writing. That's that's definitely one thing that I will come back to, and yeah. it's not gone. Um, in the way I've kind of seen it too, I did 10 full years of like writing and marketing in that world. And then uh, I'm about year six, seven of like just pure photography. So I'm going to do go to, you know, full 10 and then I'm going to try to put them together. And, um, 
you know, video in that, that world of like movie storytelling is something that I want to go down that route, DOP in that kind of realm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's what I'm doing ultimately is storytelling. Right. From top to bottom. And that's how my photography has been shaped is through my storytelling mm-hmm. and with the, the writing background that again, separates me a little bit more from different, you know, storytellers, but every photographer, every videographer is a storyteller, like mm-hmm. hands down. That's what you're doing. And, for me, it's learning the different ways of doing the storytelling. You know, what, you know, everyone knows the expression, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I'm trying to do right now with, without the words, just doing the photos and trying to, you know, tell stories that way. And the decisive moment usually is that. Um, but I always am looking for the narrative. I'm always looking for the arc. I'm always looking for the lead. Like, what's going to draw you in? That's what I learned really from, like, you know, good journalism was. How, how are you getting that person in that story? How are you making them feel? How are you, you know, what are you telling? And my, my all my, my writing too was always had a human element to it, you know, like a human nature element and humanity, at, you know, at its best, at its worst. Um, and when, uh, yeah, with, with, with the world of storytelling too, I'm just trying to, I'm going for the ride and I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where it will take you too. And but the one thing too about journalism in the background of that is you have to come from, you know, both sides of the story, you know, yeah. you have to come from both, you know, both opinions and one of the, some of my work too, um, you know, long exposures of the city. I'm trying to showcase the, the beauty of the city, the electricity of the, of the city, the, the things you can't always see with the naked eye of like a streaking streetcar or whatever it may be that like makes me feel that certain way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, some of my biggest photos that did well on Instagram last year, this year were when I, walked queen street in march and photographed all the empty mm, businesses interesting and um just kind of showcase the other side of that you know that's not necessarily the beauty of you know the cn tower glistening at night with the right. water in the foreground it's right. you know here's the hard truths of what's happening to our city right now and, mm-hmm. and not you know uh editorializing it just showing it right just that this is using my platform and this is what i saw yeah you do what you want with it. And, you know, and, th- and that is journalism too. It's trying to show both sides. Um, yeah, I, I'm addicted to that. You know, like I love that because there's a, you know, what we, you know, you use a camera or, or words for, there's usually like a, an objective, right? Like you're trying to like, you're, you're telling, you know, journalism, let's be honest, like there's always a bias. Like there, sure. there just is, it's innate. But trying to, you know, tell both sides of the story and really kind of bring the full picture is the goal and always should be and being fair mm-hmm. and the truth prevails, right? Um, and, and, and trying that within, you know, creating and, and I think even commercial stuff is going that way. Like the authentic stuff, like that's right. why TikTok's taking off. That's why like other, th- cause it's real. It's just people telling stories or it's, it's not as gussied up as, you know, things of the past with a big marketing campaign, this and that, like that'll happen still, of course. But I think we're seeing a real direction to the authentic. And, mm-hmm. I, and I like that from my, from my background of like, yeah, you're just trying to tell the truth, tell, tell the real stuff. We get into these phases of you know like glitz and glam and kind of you know mm-hmm. making something look a little more fancy than it is you know tricks and, and that but i think the the real direction and the real where we're going is going to be more this is you know less filters more real you know grit i hope so well if, if nothing else i hope that um audiences can rally around an interest that may be common um for that kind of content mm. you know and i hope that the stratification of uh, kind of, I would look at it like, you know, the global audience as a whole mm. uh, is stratified in, in many ways, right? 
by geography, by all these kind of like conventional things that limit people's coming together. Um, but the commercialized digital, you know, infrastructure that has become the major one on the, on the net, um, social networks kind of in prototyping user bases for commercial meta tagging mm -hmm. have done a disservice to channeling authentic interests, um, to the content that people are engaged with. Mm -hmm. And you see that uh, through, you know, it's difficult for them. And there's not many of them, but companies like Mubi, you know, Mubi, M-U-B-I, mm -hmm. check them out. Mubi is an early, um, one of the early VOD channels. And it started, you know, probably just after Netflix started doing on demand or around the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but they were the first place, I think, to license the Criterion collection of films. Um, and that was kind of, that set the tone for the type of stuff, you know, Kurosawa and stuff that they would have on their platform mm -hmm. and indie cinema. And they were very big on indie cinema, uh, and being a platform for indie cinema to live, especially, um, what we would call catalog films, right? Films that, um, have passed their screening dates, but aren't celebrity starring films that, you know, are still searched for because people know that name um so it's interesting they're 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 one in few mm -hmm. channels like that mm -hmm. um i have a lot to say on that topic because i used to be in that world yeah but yeah i i am hopeful that like people will be able to kind of like come together around quality content and authentic narrative well even like that's like a final note like that like you know no one really talks about vice like they used to but that i think that's what worked really well with vice is that they were kind of telling you know, or, you know, of course they always had a slant, but it was like an authentic kind of, here's what's happening that you're not seeing in your regular media, mm -hmm. you know? And well, it, it started with the, the street photography back in the day, man. Yeah. And, and yeah, the in, do's in and Montreal. Don'ts? Yeah. Yeah. Gavin McGinnis and he, he's had his own weird route, but anyway, um, but the idea that people exactly connected to world topics, yeah. Um, through a very, uh, gritty, authentic lens was, nice mm -hmm. you know it was mm -hmm. different it was refreshing it was it was uh you know kind of going against the grain quite right. you know that that's that was the whole focus but of course that's like drifted off and they you know focus is left and this and that is left as well but for such a long time like they really were reining in and i think there's going to be more of that in the future and like that that kind of really authentic like trying to storytell and it's not going to always be from major networks, you know, like, yeah. and that was one of the, maybe that's one of their downfalls is they became a major network. They got into bed with Rogers. They got into bed with uh, CNN in the States and the major, the major key, of course, is to grow as you naturally would. And I'm, yeah. not, I'm not disavowing that or saying anything against that. But the idea of how they got so big so quickly, I think was how they story told and I think how they went about it. And I think how they started from a, you know, just putting magazines out there like in Toronto and you just go grab them at stores, you know, like there's something beautiful about that that took them all the way to they went to where they went and then, you know, maybe fell. But it's an interesting point. I think I feel like that story is is a reminder that, you know, audiences um, crave access to mm -hmm. media. Mm -hmm. And that's also been one mm -hmm. of the, th the great successes that, that Vice has always maintained in the world of online media and video um, they've always published a good amount of their content for free mm -hmm. or at least freely mm -hmm. accessibly. Mm -hmm. There might be ad subsidization, but on YouTube. And yep. so it's a weird little like thing full to call out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, harkens back to that early mm. idea of like when it was a paper magazine. I yep. remember like when I was at McGill, yeah. we would, we there would find go. it in places. Like yeah. it was, it was just, always like that. It was yeah. just it was, in weird little shitty bars yeah, or weird, exactly. like, weird like skateboard stores and stuff. Yeah. It was, that's kind of cool about that. Yeah. So I think and it was I, the, it was the tact, the physical, and then they really came into the digital too, but right. they, they still had that. They started, yeah, they started as a physical pr- print newspaper, kind of like the yeah. now or the, t- the hour. Uh, and then they became the magazine format. And, and they actually like stole, it was like a, the village, it wasn't the village voice, obviously that's New York, but it was like, it, it was, it was a magazine, like a Montreal magazine that they like overtook. Like it, it was already something. I forget. Like, oh, that's story. how. Like, really? That's how they really? That's how they started. Yeah. It was oh, like I a, thought that's like they just cooked a it publication up. for something. No, no. Uh, it was always the bones, and then they turn it into vice. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was. Kind of, it was like that. It was like a community newspaper that they then like, they took over and ran with kind yeah. of thing. But it was already there. Yeah. Well, I think this is it. And no matter if the media is gritty, uh, but as long as it's kind of representative uh, of of people's want to uh, experience things. Um, or they want to relate to others' experiences, uh, media will always have a role, mm-hmm. especially this documentarian style, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see a little bit of blend in the you know commercial reality, mm-hmm. um, embracing that mm-hmm. content. And you uh, know, yeah. companies turning documentarian lenses on their customers as promotional material, stuff like that's kind of interesting. It is interesting, actually, yeah, it is. Nice, man. Well, it was a pleasure having you, you on, thank you. having a conversation about creativity, uh, and uh, and I think we got some tips and tricks in there for aspiring creators or people that want to turn to uh, career pursuits in creativity. Totally, totally. I hope we helped uh, a little bit. Yeah, told a couple stories that someone will think back on in two days in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I will. Yeah, I will. We'll all watch this and see if it's awesome or shit. That's creating. Awesome, man. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Wicked.